Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. No special announcements or anything, so let's just jump right in. First up on Floatplane, Amon has an issue with an older AVR getting ARC to work with their TV and their Apple TV. And I have this exact same setup, and it's worked in a couple of different configurations. So let me walk you through exactly what I've done in this scenario and see if I could suggest things. And then maybe if you could reply uh, for next week's and kind of follow up and see where we're at. Maybe I'm missing something from your question, or maybe this will solve your problem. I do want to preface this with CEC control and ARC is weird and it works when it wants to. I think people listening right now, there's going to be a chunk of people going, oh, mine worked fine for like a year and it just stopped. And other people are going to be thinking, mine never worked at all. And there's going to be another group of people that are like, you're crazy. Mine's always worked perfect from day one. What are you talking about? And they're all right because it's that's the common, um, that's the common feedback I get with those. But what I would suggest to try first, and it sounds like you already have it set up this way, but I'm going to walk through it anyway. Plug your Apple TV 4K into HDMI 1 of your TV. Then the port that's labeled ARC, which is often HDMI 2, plug that to the HDMI output of your AVR. Make sure it's the output and not one of the inputs. I've never seen an ARC port be an input port on one of these. And then anything else that you need, I would put in the third HDMI port of your TV. And if you have multiple things, use an HDMI switch. Because generally speaking, in that setup, you're going to be using your streaming box by far the most, and then other stuff secondary. So as long as you could just grab that Apple TV remote, hit the button and have everything come on, and you don't need to grab other remotes unless you're going to a Blu-ray player, a game console, stuff that you would need multiple remotes anyway, then that should be fine to go over to your HDMI switch and change it for that one. In that case, everything should work, and I think it should even work if the AVR doesn't support 4K. Now, I don't know about that for a fact, but what you could do if that's the case. So let's just say everything is working except that. So you could set it to HDMI 2 and you could bring up your AVR's menu. You could uh, see if everything is connecting that way. But then when you enable ARC, if it still isn't working, it could be the HDMI 2.0 versus 1.4 or something like that. And if you're... uh, AVR does support 1080p 60, you could try one of those downscaling splitters, but you'd have to find one that passes CEC control or at least arc through it. And that's going to be tricky because the ones that advertise CEC control often do not pass it through. Some do, but most of the ones I've tried don't. They do pass arc though. So you could theoretically just have it 
downscaled that way. You could also try to get an HDMI audio extractor that also passes CEC and ARC and try that for your uh, for the ARC port for HDMI 2 to the output of your AVR and see what happens. Um, the other thing that you could try to do, because I mean, I would just start with that first and see what happens. And I think what might happen in that scenario is if you don't pass CEC, but you do pass ARC, that might be fine. And that's actually the scenario that I would want with my AVR. I would want to always have my streaming box remote to power on my TV and obviously the streaming box and just use the TV's volume because I don't always want to use my AVR. I like to use it only on only when the sound matters. So watching some crappy documentary, I would just use the TV speakers, but putting on an action show that I would love to turn on the AVR. The way mine works now, um, this is like the fourth setup I've had here, and this is a 4K compatible AVR, but when I turn on my TV, the AVR goes on automatically. So if I don't want it, I have to manually power it off. However, when I turn on the AVR, the TV does not go on, which means I could listen to music without turning on my TV. So I find that to be good enough for me. I've had it both ways. I've had it, so even if you just turn on the AVR and put it on like cassette player mode, the TV still comes on. And then if you turn the TV off, both go off. And that is not what's happening now. So it is my opinion that unless you don't have any speakers hooked up or your TV speakers are blown, having the scenario in which everything powers on except the AVR, and then you just manually go hit the power button and then it automatically connects, that would be fine. And same when, when you turn it off, just have it set to automatically turn off after 20 minutes with no signal detected, and then your AVR could go off automatically. Not sure how that would work if a splitter is connected to it, but you'll have to cross that bridge when you come to it. So let me know what you think. Let me know if that made it more confusing. Um, it is confusing, I know. It doesn't work exactly the way it's supposed to, and part of it is the HDMI protocols and the different standards. But give all that stuff a thought. Let me know if I just misunderstood your question altogether, and let's follow up with this, because I would love to find devices that do exactly what we're talking about right now in order to make sure that people's setups are a lot smoother. And this does apply to retro gamers, I probably should have opened with this, by the way, but this directly applies to retro gamers because what if you have an awesome AVR? Maybe it's only 5.1, but you don't want any extra speakers. Everything's set up fine. And what if you also want to integrate a brand new TV with an Xbox Series X and 4K 120, but you also want to plug in the RetroTank 4K? So how is all of this going to get routed together? And that's why I haven't had a follow-up HDMI video because it's way more complicated when you're mixing all of these things. And it's some of the equipment that's HDMI 2.1 compatible is either insanely expensive or not in stock. So I will swing back around to this, but if we could all help each other troubleshoot, that would be even easier so we could figure out what's the best components to use. Next up, moving over to Patreon, Retro Gaming Boombox wants to know if you're safely able to plug a US N64 power supply into a Japanese N64 motherboard. I am 99.9% .9 sure the answer is definitely yes, because the input voltage is what you need to worry about and stuff like that, but the motherboards themselves should all accept the same DC voltage. And in fact, the N64 power supply might be uh, might be able to be used on both Japanese and US power. But anybody that sat through that live stream I did with uh, Renee Voltar and Mike Chi knows that I am very cautious when it comes to power. So if I were if I were going to do that, if I were importing a Japanese N64, I would use a US power supply. And I, I'm almost 100% positive that that's exactly the scenario you should be using it with. 
I, I think there would be more of a chance of the Japanese power supply being fine to use in the U.S. than there would be the U.S. not being able to be used on the Japanese. But if anybody knows that I made this mistake or anything, or especially if there's, if I really screwed things up, please let me know. And heck, if if I'm really wrong, I'll just uh, delete and re-edit this video. But I'm pretty sure that's correct, and that's how I would do it. Also, what happened to HD Retrovision and their Dreamcast cables? I got no clue. I, I, I'm I'm not even being coy. I really just don't even know. So I'd rather not say. I don't want to upset them. Next up, Lopo wants to get an MS-DOS computer for games like TES Arena, Daggerfall, and the Doom series, but they have no clue where to start. Any pointers on the best places to buy that aren't eBay? Also, more places to gather info on what they're looking for. Well, there's two answers to that. Now, you're specifically asking about getting dedicated hardware, so I'll answer that in a second. But I do want to remind everybody, there are tools like DOSBox and ExoDocs, ExoDOS, not Docs, <laughs> and uh, a couple other things like that, that are software emulation solutions to emulate that on a modern PC. And depending on what games you're looking to play, one solution might be better than the other, but there's a ton of different choices. And there's even a 480X core on the Mister if you already have a Mister. And I would really look to whatever tools you already have if you just want to try experiencing those games. You could always get a um, something like a VGA CRT monitor. And even if your graphics card only has HDMI outputs, just get an HDMI to VGA converter and download one of those utilities to force 640 by 480 or 800 by 600 mode. And you could have a pretty accurate emulation solution that's gonna, gonna really get you the look and feel of the originals. Might not be 100% up to snuff, but it'll get you started. However, if you've already decided that you want original hardware, or if you already went down the road that I just said, and that was your gateway drug, and now you're really into it, I would look any place I could for used equipment and piece this stuff together yourself. Maybe you could find one that's already been put together that's working. Uh, maybe you have one that works fine, but the graphics card isn't the one that you'd wanted. But I would treat it like a modern PC and make sure that you just get all of the components that you need to run the games that you're looking for the way you want to run them. And vintage anything is going to be a pain. You have to hunt the stuff down. Who knows if what you're getting is going to work or not? Who knows if the capacitors are all dried out? It's just like everything else. But that's really where I would start is looking at any place. And I mean, you could go to recycling centers. You could check out any of the online marketplaces and just look for old PCs, e-waste, anything like that. If you see e-waste and something with a floppy drive, maybe you'll get lucky. So I would definitely start there. You might have to go to eBay, but I would also look at different communities and, uh, and really look to YouTubers and their communities who specialize in stuff like this. And if there's one YouTuber doing great videos on 386 PCs, go there and ask in the comments, see if they have a Discord server or something and, and see if people are willing to sell and trade and stuff like that. Also, Sir Chicken uh, suggested maybe looking at AliExpress and said that there is an interesting looking MS-DOS laptop. That particular laptop is an 8088 processor, so you're probably not running Doom or anything that you mentioned on it. But that's also not a bad idea is maybe there's places on AliExpress or something that's selling new old stock. Now, what they would more likely be is refurbished used stuff being sold as new old stock. So it's up to you if you want to chance it or not. I mean, there, there's no reason why you couldn't buy something like that and have it work totally fine. But 
you could also get something that's going to work for a day and die. So it's, but I mean, I guess you could say that about going to a recycling center and powering one up. It seems to work and you could get it home and it wouldn't. So if the price is right, give it a shot. But yeah, I think those are my suggestions to start. But if anybody else has any feedback, definitely let me know. Next up, Ishan wants to know if I could recommend a capture card that could capture 1600 by 1200, ideally one with an HDMI pass-through. Their current capture card, the EVGA XR1 Lite, can detect and capture this resolution, but it seems to downscale it, and the end result is a 16 by 9 stretched and very blurry image. So I'll start out by saying that Epos Fox, the stream professor, is definitely the expert when it comes to stuff like this, especially when mixing PC resolutions with modern capture cards that are often advertised at HDTV resolutions like 720 and 1080, etc. But I can give you the basics. 1600 by 1200, that's a higher vertical resolution than 1080, so you're probably going to need to look into 1440p or 4K compatible capture cards. And, uh, but... Before you do that, what software are you using for the EVGA? It's possible that if you're using whatever software it came with, that the software is the one not understanding that proper resolution. So you could download like Virtual Dub 2, set it to capture mode, and then manually set the resolution there that you're looking for. You could also try OBS. Uh, that is hit or miss depending on what you're looking to do. But I would absolutely try what you have first, just in case. And even if you've already done all of these things, double check with the experts. Maybe there's a guide out there, but basically I would just fire up OBS. Um, I would set the OBS window to 1600 by 1200, add your capture card, and then for resolution, go to custom and add 1600 by 1200 and see what happens. You might blue screen your computer. That happens with the Datapath Vision cards all the time. Um, it might not, but I would start there and then kind of go from there. I have the Avermedia Live Gamer 4K, an internal capture card, which has been excellent. I really, for the money, I think they're down to 180 bucks now on Amazon, brand new. For the money, I could not possibly recommend a better capture card, all things considered, you know, for HDMI stuff. Even the newer ones out there don't do the same thing that this does. So, but that's another thing that you could try is the new Avermedia 2.1, uh, HDMI 2.1 version. Yeah, but I would watch Epos Vox's videos on those. And if you're looking to get a brand new card, I believe some of the other ones are going to be released in the next few weeks. So while I'm normally the person that says, get what's available to you right now, don't wait, because a couple of weeks could end up being six months, I actually think it is a few weeks. Like, actually hit the stores available to purchase. So I would start by just trying what you already have, a couple of different ways to make sure that it's not the software messing with your capture. And it could very well be the hardware. Those little blue boxes that we found a couple of years ago, those definitely scale the image. And if you're just looking for a cheap way to stream, it doesn't matter. But if you're looking to actually have a crispy stream or a capture, it does. So it could be that. It could be re, uh, resampling the video. But I would try that first. Then check out some of Epos Fox's videos, especially the latest ones on the capture cards that he just posted, and see what happens when the new one comes out. And maybe this is the time to upgrade to a brand new one that could do everything. Or maybe you could get one of the older ones used and, and use that. But just remember that you would have to have a minimum of 1440p accepted resolution since it's 1200 vertical. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive. 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next up, Cam said that 20-inch Arcuda monitor that he had lent me that I reviewed a while back may have just died. They need to run it through some more troubleshooting, but it started displaying a scrambled image a few days ago, and now it doesn't display anything at all. They've reached out to Arcuda, and those have been out of stock for a while, but their rep told them they finalized firmware updates on a new batch, and they should be available in about two weeks for anyone that wanted it, but didn't get one before. They even have listings for a tabletop version with a plastic housing and a rotating visa mount. That's kind of cool. If I know anyone or if there's anybody listening right now in the U.S. that got one but doesn't need it, they might be interested in taking it off their hands. If not, they'll probably have to import another and possibly a backup. The arcade cabinet they built has been great, but it was designed around that monitor and having to replace it sucks. So you're right, that does suck. And that's really sad to hear. I'm sorry that you're dealing with this. The good news is you could possibly just need a new controller board or a new LCD backlight, which is infinitely cheaper to uh, to import. And if that's the case, I might even buy two of them just so you'd always have one. There's a good chance that that would die before the panel anyway. So maybe that's all it is, is just those boards on the inside and you'd be totally done. Um, but if it is the panel, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. The only thing that might be of uh, of luck to you is if they're selling another one at some point that does have the same mounting locations and that could be a drop-in replacement, but that stinks. So does, does anybody have one of those 20 inch Arcudas in the U S that they want to sell cam in case, uh, in case they need one. And I, I have, I lost touch with Arcuda, nothing bad, zero bad things to say about them. I think they just get hit with a part shortage and delays and you know, made effort to keep in touch with me, but all of our emails back and forth were, hey, I'll let you know as soon as it comes in, and me going, oh, I'm really excited, let me know, and it just, we did that a bunch of times, so zero negative things to say about the company. I just haven't really heard back, and um, they might not have anything back in stock yet, so... Yeah, does anybody have one for sale? And if not, maybe we could figure something out. But you could very well get lucky and just need another controller board or something. So this might not be that big of a deal. And who knows? Maybe they'll be willing to to send you a free one, send you one cheap or something. I would just be polite and keep asking. And keep me posted. If there's anything I could do to help, let me know. Next up, Sir Chicken was able to pick up a Philips-branded CRT computer monitor with a VGA input. When they feed it with HDMI converted to VGA directly, it loses signal every few seconds. They tried a cheap passive converter, I imagine that wouldn't work at all, uh, and they also tried a more expensive but still cheap active converter, which should work, but it has the same problem. They also tried different HDMI sources. For other purposes, the converters work just fine, so the converters themselves were troubleshooted. And if they convert HDMI to component video and then component video to VGA, it works completely fine without signal loss. So right off the bat, my gut's telling me the converter. Try yourself another HDMI to VGA converter. 
make sure the cables are nice and tight. It's going to sound ridiculous, I know, but that could always be an issue. Use a, a different VGA cable if possible. And also double and triple check your sources. Your PC is probably going to be the best thing to test this with. So just plug it into the HDMI output of a PC and force it to, uh, it looks like the native resolution of this monitor is 1020 or 1280 by 1024 at 60 hertz. It could also do 1024 by 768 at 85 hertz, which is very cool. Um, but I would just set it to 1280 by 1024 and see what happens there. And, or lower, you know, you can go down to 640 by 480 if you wanted to, but, and I would use, you know, go, any of the decent HDMI to VGA DACs that I, especially the ones that I have listed on the Amazon store, know that is not just a cheap plug. I have tested every single one that's on there. So maybe one has better black level issues, uh, uh, levels than the other, but they all actually work at least. So spending another eight bucks is probably worthy to have. Um, the one that Kuro suggested, it only does video, not audio, but I've had some really great luck with that. I'll make sure to put a link for anybody who's interested in that one. But I would definitely try that and I would definitely try check the resolutions. Also, you said that you tried sending in a bunch of different resolutions, including an interlaced resolution, and some are blurry and some are not. That must be, there must be some kind of conversion going on in the monitor because it very specifically says in the spec sheet, which I'll, I'll also link, um, that that tops out at 1280 by 1024. So if you send it any other resolution than that, there could be some internal conversion going on, or you could just be sending it a resolution it's not really supposed to use. So it's just kind of getting all over the place. So I would check that spec sheet and really only send it the resolutions that it's supposed to be receiving. And if you want to try to push it to different ones, that's fine too. But start with the ones that it was designed to be used with and see how it looks there and kind of just go from there. And remember, 480p is almost surely going to be 720 by 480, not 640 by 480. So you might run into some issues there as well, even if you drop it down to that. Um, so you could try PlayStation 3. You mentioned I would try that in 480p with it set to 4x3 mode, and you could go from there. Um, definitely remember, though, that the PS3 has those HDCP issues, so you would need to do component video to VGA conversion on that, not HDMI to uh, VGA, unless you know all the tricks to get around all that and something. I'm just trying to simplify it for you here. But yeah, I would try with a PC and kind of just go over all of that and see where you got. And if you need another uh, HDMI DAC, I'll leave the one that I've been using recently that's very cheap and has been great to use so far. Next up, Green Devil just picked up a Dreamcast. They never had one growing up and didn't emulate the console either, so they're experiencing the library for the first time. What's my recommendation for a Dreamcast ODE? So um, I'm still on the fence about that because I've been really interested to try Fixel Solution, which he was supposed to send me like three months ago. Sorry, Fixel, I'm still waiting on it though. <laughs> I bought it and everything. I just, I don't know. I think there's been some delays with that, but... I was really interested to see that one very specifically because of its ability to load games over network. So I could just keep my whole Dreamcast collection managed on my retro NAS and just have a basic SD card hooked up to that just for booting and basic stuff. So I'm still waiting on that one. If I had to choose at the moment and money wasn't an issue though, like if you wanted one right now, I would get the mode because it is as plug and play as one could get. And I mean that both plugging it into the Dreamcast and just getting your games running. The GDM is fine, but you still need software to get everything loaded on it. There's still some shortcomings. Um, and I would consider that new VMU2. And I believe once the mode or GDMU 
add support for that because I, I the GDMU, the creator is not adding support for that, but there might be some other menus being released and being worked on that could add support. Then you could get Memcard Pro-like functionality on it. Um, that's not there yet, but it probably is going to come whenever uh, any of these ODEs get updated to support it. So my answer would be, if you want to get something right now, the mode would be the easiest way to go about doing it. Um, or, or just use CDRs. I mean, you're going to wear out the drive doing that way, uh, doing it that way, but it, your drive might not even be working at this point, but you could certainly try that for the short term. And if you weren't in a rush or if you've already bought a couple of Dreamcast games and you just want to start with those and then move on to an ODE, I would still hang out to see how Fixels works. I'll message him again today and see, because uh, I was really, really excited to try that. It seemed so promising. And uh, that one, the you know th that one model could be used on many different consoles. So I was really hoping to to get testing on that sooner rather than later. But we'll I'll I'll follow up on my end of that. But that's my recommendation for now. And if I'm missing something or if there's something new out there that somebody uh, that I somehow haven't picked up on, please let me know. But I think if you need one today, the mode is probably the easiest overall, and uh, just kind of go from there. Next up, Dustin Madison had kind of a fun one. What if someone ever made a Mortal Kombat hack that replaces the characters with retro YouTubers? They're thinking of having like LGR with a moveset like Raiden or Metal Jesus with a moveset of maybe Kano. If they put me in, what moveset would I want? They're thinking Scorpion where I'd throw gaming cables in the same fashion that Scorpion goes, get over here. Yeah, it's silly, but inquiring minds must know. So I've never thought about that before, but as I was reading your question, I thought, well, Scorpion's my favorite character. I could totally see myself throwing something, but I, I think you nailed it. I think uh, having me throw a SCART cable would probably be absolutely perfect. And uh, I think Jason would love that as well. So if anybody out there wants to digitize us, I'm pretty sure we would love to be in that. So uh, yeah, that, that's a fun one. That's pretty silly, but I think you nailed it. I think that's not only what I would want to do, I think that's kind of what I would have to do if there, somebody was ever going to hack me into Mortal Kombat. Scorpion, but I throw SCART cables. I love it. That was a fun one. Next up, Jason Guffey has sort of a philosophical question this week, and I'm sure my answer is probably going to piss off a lot of people, but this is my Q&As and my personal opinions, so I'm going to share them anyway. Basically, why does software emulation get such a bad rap when hardware emulation like the Mister, and it is hardware emulation, uh, it's, it, why does that usually get looked at so positively? They're both emulation, so why is one put on a pedestal and the other one often looked down upon. And I, my strong opinion on that is because of the overall experience. So if you use the correct software emulator and you find the games that have been tested and work great with it, and if you use it on the correct hardware, whether it's a PC or Raspberry Pi or whatever, and if you set it up correctly, and if you have your display set up to it correctly, you could have a near flawless experience. And I mean, you could even set it up to the point where it's on an arcade machine, you're using a controller, it doesn't really matter, but you could set it up where you could walk up to a software emulation solution and have an equal to or better experience than the original. And I say better for things like some of the N64 emulators that could render in higher resolutions. Dolphin is a great example. You could render GameCube and Wii games in higher resolutions than your original consoles ever could have. And some games are basically perfect on Dolphin. Sometimes you need a more powerful PC and not all games are, but I think the ifs are what gives it a bad rap because what if you use 
the wrong version. You have the wrong setup on your computer. Uh, what if you use one of those Raspberry Pi in a box solutions and you need to remap your controller? There are so many ifs. And I think that is what gives software emulation a bad rap. And on the flip side of things, Mr. is about as easy as it gets. Uh, I did that setup in 10 minute video, which I still stand by, even though it's over a year old. You do that, you wait for update all to finish, you map your controller, you're basically done. Yeah, each core has settings you probably want to tweak, but you don't have to. That's it. You know, 10 minutes of setup, wait for update all to run, and you're done. And it works great. And on top of that, if the core is built properly, the same way that if the software emulator is built properly, you won't need to worry about any of those extra variables. So, you know, let's just say, uh, even with an HDMI monitor, you know, you plug in your HDMI monitor, assuming you put it in game mode and everything, make sure that your Mr. INI settings are correct and compatible, which is all part of the main setup. You would figure this out before you even started gaming. Then you just get a near zero latency solution that just works fine, especially for some of the more polished cores. Whereas, do you really know you're getting that with software emulators? So it's not so much that hardware emulation is better. It's that in the total experience, the, from setup to consistency to, to pay, you know playing on uh, CRTs, hardware emulation through the Mr. and even through the analog consoles is often a much better experience as a result of all of that. And especially the analog consoles, right? You take your cartridge, you plug it in, you press the power, and that's it. You're playing Nintendo, Super Nintendo, whatever else, and it's absolutely fine, and you don't have to worry about any of the issues that you might have. So I think it really is just an, an overall, uh, just an overall solution thing that people kind of gets in. Well, let me rephrase that. People who have actually used all of these things, it is something that just gets in your head. The the people that you mentioned that are just get a pie or Mr. So much better. I don't understand why people act like that, especially people who have never used any of these things before period. So I, I don't think those people should count in this, uh, you know, in this philosophical question. I think for people who actually want to take the time to understand the differences, that's the answer. It's just the total overall thing. And, uh, you know, Mr. is infinitely easier in so many ways to set up. I think that could just be a huge deterrent for people because there are so many great Raspberry Pi setups. But like I always say, and people get so mad when I say this, but go try to remap the buttons in an arcade game on one of those Raspberry Pi setups. I spent like two hours in one live stream doing this with some of the people that helped work on the software. And it was a nightmare. It's always some kind of a nightmare with those Pi solutions. Uh, there is one developer looking to completely solve that, by the way. it's I think it's still an alpha, so I don't even want to shout it out yet because I don't want them to get bothered by people like me who are curious and excited. But I, I think that's kind of why software emulation gets a thumbs down so many times. But that's definitely not how I approach it. I approach it all situationally. And a lot of the hardware emulation that we have wouldn't be possible without software emulation. So I love them both, but they're all like tools, right? You wouldn't get mad at your hammer because you couldn't screw a Phillips head screwdriver with it or screw in with it, right? So it's use the right tools for the right job and kind of go for, and know what you're, you're getting at. But yeah, that's my that's my answer that, you know, that's my opinion. If you're very upset with me for it, that's fine too. If you think Mr. is not emulation, I, you should definitely go go to a Discord and talk about it cuz people are totally going to listen. 
Well, that's it for this time. Anybody watching this on video services? I don't know why it looks weird today. I switched back to the Kia webcam, which has usually been fairly reliable, but it auto updates all the time and crazy things happen. So I, I don't know why it's sort of weird and pixelated looking today. It wasn't like that the last time I used it, but I'll troubleshoot and try to fix it by next week. I just figure by this point, y'all know what I look like. So having perfect video for a weekly isn't exactly the most important thing. Whereas, you know, when I do those higher higher production videos, I do think it's important to use the fancier camera when possible. I did, uh, I don't know, not many people picked up on it, but when I did that how to capture in 4K video, I intentionally used this just as like a silly joke. I know my video capture friends would roll their eyes at it just like I'm, terrible looking on screen when I'm talking about deep diving into 4k perfect captures that was just a, a light-hearted troll to everybody <laughs> so usually for the higher production videos I, uh, I like to use that gh5 camera I always sit uh, sit next to me also just a heads up to subscribers I have a couple videos coming out I'm also so backlogged and trying to catch up that I'm trying to release all of them a little bit early for subscribers like I always do just as a thank you um, but I don't know if they're going to fall into place that way because I know that each of them have one or two changes I need to make, but I'm waiting on something to make those changes. So it might be one of those things where the video gets uploaded and then as soon as it hits 4K, I just press the button and release it to everybody. So uh, my apologies if no one gets early access to either or both or for whatever of those, but I always try to do it because I always try to just say thank you in any way possible to people who support which is what these Q&As are. This is just a big thank you to everybody who supports. So if you support and you want to ask any question, ask whatever you would like, wherever it is that you support, please just do it in the latest Q&A post on whatever service that is, because I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, as you saw today, I just like flipping between the services and asking questions as if we were hanging out somewhere today, or hanging out somewhere together. So as always, thank you so much, and I will see you next week hopefully with at least one fancier video before then.